Hi, thank you for joining Grief and Frozen Lasagnas every first and third Thursdays. I'm your host, Veronica Day. This podcast is devoted to talking openly about grief and how to help someone who is grieving. You will hear personal stories ranging from the sad, the angry, the are you freaking kidding me, to pee your pants funny. We're not licensed professionals nor grief experts. We're just real people who've experienced grief I want to share what helped and what didn't. Welcome back to Grief and Frozen Lasagnas. Today we're going to talk about a different type of family loss. The loss of our pet. Pets have become more than just the family dog or the family cat. They have become our child, sibling, confidant, our emotional and physical support, and in some cases, our greatest love. They're becoming more accepted as members of the family and are treated as such, from marketing to therapy to legal matters, and of course, grief. When I was working on show topics, I knew I wanted to devote an episode to pet grief. They become such a big part of our world, our life, and our families. We make room in our world for them, take them on trips with us, take their photos, and in some cases, create social media accounts for them. And we worry about their happiness. So it makes sense that when our pet dies, we grieve the loss of a family member. I wanted to talk to pet parents who've unfortunately lost a pet. Today you'll hear conversations with two of my friends and how they grieve the loss of their pet. Valerie Nelson and Alex Darian. Valerie grew up always having animals around. She also helps volunteer with pet rescue. Valerie's beloved cat, Oscar, recently passed away. She currently resides in the country with her husband, the dogs, the cats, and the cows. Alex is a Dallas-area realtor. She lost her chihuahua, Big Daddy, in 2015. She has since rescued two more small dogs, and I can safely say that these pups are living their best life with her. I was pleasantly surprised when I learned that I would also be able to interview Dr. Andrea Lawrence Simpson, she is currently a research assistant professor and lecturer of sociology at Southern Methodist University. She's also the author of Just Like Family, How Companion Animals Join the Household. This book examines pets' changing role in relationships in modern U.S. families. Her award-winning book engages identity theory, family and fertility, and human-non-human animal interactions. Her research uses original, qualitative research to examine how Family membership is impacted by human-non-human animal relationships in the U.S. And how the household structure affects how dogs and cats are identified in the family. How this contributes to postmodern cultural definitions of who counts as family. And how dropping fertility rates aid in the emergence of multi-species family. In order to understand how we process pet grief, it's probably best to start at the beginning of those relationships. I asked Dr. Lawrence Simpson why she chose this topic and who this book is designed for. Um, well, the, the book is designed for just general audience members, people who are interested in um, how cats and dogs, among other companion animals, have kind of come to be so important in the American family, why they're so important to us and why it might vary between um, different kinds of families. So whether you are a, a child-free family or a family who wants children but isn't able to, or a family who does have children, how those kinds of things might uh, differentiate the type of multi-species family you are. So 
people who have those kinds of questions or are just interested in general about their dogs and cats and their families um, really might find interest in this book. And, and it's who I've geared it towards. I've also geared it towards um, family scholars and human animal interaction scholars. So people whose research revolve around understanding our relationships and the human animal bond. Um, and I, I I got started on it uh, because of my own experiences, which I think it's why we do a lot of the research we do. We look back on experiences that we've had and questions that have arisen from that and then hop right in and try to figure out some sort of um, tangible answer that we can work with. And so uh, for me, that was my own dog who was, uh, or yeah, who was a chow chow uh, and her name was Chewbacca bear, uh, she came into my life in uh, undergraduate school. So I've been in school for a couple of years and have moved into my own apartment and um, felt like I needed some sort of company because I was living by myself. And um, so I brought her into my life as a, a puppy. I think she was really young actually to have left her litter. I think I got her when she was maybe five weeks old. Um, yeah, and, and so she was very needy and I no idea <laughs> what to do with her. But I just, I remember talking to my dad and, and my dad on the phone saying, oh, put her in bed with you. You know, she'll, she'll snuggle up to you and she'll go right to sleep and you will just become best, best inseparable friends from that point on. And so I did it and he was right. And it happened very, very quickly um, and, and moved into uh, my entire days revolving around her, my undergraduate scheduling revolving around her, my work schedule, everything started revolving around her. Uh, as far as what her needs were um, and um, and just the desire to be around her. Eventually, I met who would become my husband, and he still is my husband. Um, and he became very attached to her, too, and very bonded. We got married and just kind of continued to grow that relationship with her and, and grow what, at the time, I really hadn't thought about this, but now I know was our multi-species family as child-free uh, couple. Um, at the time, we didn't really have any desire to have children. Sorry, boys. And so we just poured everything we had into her. She traveled with us when we uh, looked for rentals you know, that we could move into. We were always sure to think about how this would fit around her and what her needs were. Uh, she shopped with us. She ate with us. Um, if we, when we moved to Los Angeles, we took, um, and I talk about this in the book, we took uh, our, or my husband's mother with us. Uh, because she had grown quite fond of her as well as her uh, grandmother and, and grand dog, right? So she came with us to help us find a good place to live that would suit Chew Bear, but also to take care of Chew Bear while we went property hunting. So she really kind of became a family affair. Uh, it wasn't just us. It wound up extending out into kind of grandparent relationships as well. Her presence in our lives was very, very important to everything we did. She, too, experienced pet grief when her dog, Chewbacca Bear, died. I guess 10 years in, she was diagnosed with lymphoma. And even in that process, when they diagnosed her, <clears throat> I was told that we had 30 days. It was out of the blue. I mean, I just I had no idea. I'd found some lumps on her neck and thought they were kind of weird and took her in. And the vet told me that she was probably stage three lymphoma. We had 30 days. Um, well, I didn't, you know, as the grief process goes, right, they're the stages of grief. So I was like, whatever, you're trying to rip me off. Sorry. 
The dog is active and happy and loves on me, drinks each. Just the only thing is, is these weird lumps. So I actually like vet hopped for a couple of weeks looking for someone to be like, yeah, I know your dog is fine. <laughs> like I need to find the honest vet. I, I even went to specialist over in Addison and um, same, obviously the same thing. So, you know, eventually I want, I wound up at Texas A&M at that clinic or at not the clinic, but at the hospital with a resident oncologist who clearly told me the same thing. Um, we, we lost her in November of 2005. It, in terms of grief, it was probably a couple of years before I could really talk about this without uh, just busting out crying. It was a very, very difficult time for me. I began my journey as a pet mom in 1998. I remember it very clearly. My boyfriend and I had just bought our first home and he had to travel a lot for work. So his mom gave me a cat since I was alone a lot and I was brand new in town. I wasn't sure that I needed a cat, but there we were. I mean, I liked the little kitten, but I wasn't so sure I was ready for this little sassy ball of fur. So the first night, I shut her out of the bedroom, but I could see her paw swiping under the door all night. So I finally just gave in and said, fine, you win, and let her sleep in the bed with me. She jumped up on top of the bed, curled up on the pillow, and that was her spot for the next 20 years. She was with me through the divorce, apartment moves, switching jobs, relationships, meeting new pets, and of course, part of my world when I remarried. She handled it like a champ. She was my constant companion, and I loved her like family. Turns out that was one of the best gifts anyone ever gave me. Since so many of us regard our pets as our children, I asked Valerie how she got there. I want to give love. I want to give love. I want to take care of people, things, pets. I want to nurture and I don't have a child to focus that on, so I focus it on my pets. I think our pets often arrive in moments in our lives when we need them the most, whether we realize it or not at the time. Or, well, maybe maybe those moments are significant because of their arrival. I asked Alex about her meet cute with her chihuahua, Big Daddy. So Big Daddy um, basically came to me when I was looking for companionship and I'm so sorry I'm tearing up and and I'm not embarrassed by it so I'm, I'm looking for companionship and this is how much losing my baby affects me is when I talk about it I just I really do I, I I'm very emotional but um I found him through uh whatever petco pet smart through something called petfinder.com back in the day this was very very early 2000s like internet was just like kind of getting going long story short uh i found this chihuahua in the state of texas it didn't even say where i called the phone number and the lady's like yeah we're a rescue group in garland and we're doing a pet adoption in frisco she says where do you live and i'm like frisco and the funny story is there was 27 people who applied to adopt Big Daddy. And I was like, this is my first dog. I'm not attached. I don't want this dog because I can't compete with like a mom, dad, and 2.5 kids with a house and a white picket fence that are going to give this dog the life that it needs. 
and the the uh, the rescue person, she said, "No, just hold just hold him for a minute. Let me just see how he reacts to you." And this dog was just hilarious. I mean, he stuck his schnoz right into like the crook of my ear, and then he proceeded to put both paws down my cleavage. I'm like, this dog's a pervert. Um, but maybe, and then he starts snoring on me. It's like he fell asleep on me in this very sort of peculiar position. Uh, but I was like, yeah, just come take the dog. I'm done. I, then I just decided I'll just get some goldfish or a gerbil or hamster or something. And so um, at the end of the Petco Pet Fair, she goes, you got him. And I said, how did I get him, you know, in, in this long line of people who want this, by the way, really fugly looking chihuahua. And she said, because the only person he did that sleeping thing with he does with me and he only did that with you and so basically he chose you because he he never fell asleep on anybody else and he only does that when he feels safe and secure so that's how I got him Valerie had this to say about finding her cat Oscar okay so I had a friend at work um named randy and he he was my buddy and he he and his partner helped me through my divorce and within a couple months i was like i need i need a cat i love love cats i love black cats and they're like hey our doctor wants to get rid of his black cat because it's not working out for him so he actually the doctor actually lived a half mile from where my apartment was so within two months after my split and moving into the apartment on my own I got Oscar this big black cat and Oscar was about two years old at that point and he's this large just <laughs> Jabba like cat um he, he's 16 pounds um and he was just the sweetest thing and I one of my first memories growing up was when my mom let me get a black cat from the pet store um, when I was very, very young. This was the first pet I remember, and that was Josie. So I've always had a special place in my heart for black cats. And so I got Oscar, brought him back to my apartment, and just we became buds. And then um, when I met my now husband several years later, Oscar had to approve. There was no way I was going to accept Joe, who is my now husband, without Oscar approval. And of course, the first day he came over, Oscar's like in Joe's lap, you know, relaxing, just chilling. And um, Joe is an animal lover. So that that immediately was one thing that one of the many, many things I love about my husband now. But um, yeah, so that's how Oscar came into my life. I truly believe that pets know when we're happy, scared, sick, or sad. Some people say that pets don't understand what we're saying. I disagree. They may not be speaking English, Spanish, Swedish, or whatever, but they do communicate. And I'm not talking about commands like sit, stay, or down. I have seen my pet snuggle with me when I'm sad. I've seen my cat lay on the floor next to me for hours while I'm going through a terrible migraine. And it's not just me. I'm willing to bet all pet owners feel like this too. Yeah, they seem to know when you're hurting 
and when you're going through stuff and does Oscar seem to know that like especially you know going through the divorce going to court all that kind of stuff you know going through the pain of having a night where I was just like what am I doing you know what am I going to do with my life I'm leaving everything I had dreamed of and um Oscar just seemed to know that and he was always on my lap and I loved to read every time I'd read he'd be on my lap and it just he he was the comfort I needed to get through a very difficult time in my life. While our pets communicate with us, sometimes we need to communicate on their behalf. Dr. Lawrence Simpson had this to say about her early research. Uh, initially, I started out with the idea that I would do some field work and participant observation where I would go into a veterinary clinic and um, Eventually, my own veterinarian was like, of course, you can come in and you can go anywhere you want in the clinic. You, you can go to as long as the clients are good with it. You can go to any kind of appointment uh, that you would like. And uh, you can't. The only thing he limited me on was anything that might involve discussion of euthanasia, which obviously was completely understandable. So that was the first stage of it. And really what the, the, uh, the aim of that initial research was more along the lines of trying to um, think about how people kind of act as translators for their animals when they go to veterinary clinics. So, you know, oh, well, Susie's feeling this way today. And yesterday she was very sad and depressed. And I know this because blah, 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 blah. And think about the kinds of histories that people had built with their dogs and cats uh, as a means of kind of translating over or language brokering over to the vet uh, what the need was. And while I was there, <clears throat> I realized that I was seeing a lot of people that were very similar to, um, that had very similar relationships to what I had had and what my husband had had as well with Chewbacca bears. Okay, quick note. When I was interviewing Dr. Lawrence Simpson, I realized she was so engaging and had so much knowledge on this topic that we weren't going to be able to do her book justice in just one podcast episode. I think... Yeah, I think I need to have a bonus episode, so stay tuned for that. It's no surprise that bonds with our pets build as we see them more as family. And when they die, it hurts just as much as when we lose a human member of our pack. And unfortunately, we often have a say in their final days. That alone is some heavy stuff to carry around on top of losing our beloved pet, our baby. I finally actually had to put him down. Um, he was in a really bad way, but he, I think because I wouldn't let go, there we go again. I wouldn't let go. So he wouldn't let go, but I, I had to put him down for his own good. Um, and this was in 2015. And so I had him, yeah, I had him 12 years. And like I said, so he made it to a, about 16, 16, almost 17. So for a little chihuahua, that's, that's pretty darn good. I asked Valerie when she knew when it was time to say goodbye. He he went through some some health issues. I you know I'd repeatedly take him to the vet, leave him overnight. He'd get shots and they'd sedate him and try to figure out what's wrong. I'd take him home. He still he'd stopped eating. Um, he lost a lot of weight. He was no longer my big boy. 
that was kind of hard because I knew something was wrong and he just wasn't getting better. And I was taking him to the, on a weekly basis, the vet was like, you're back again. I'm like, yeah, Oscar, he's just not doing well. Um, I think one of the hardest things I've ever had to do was to say he, he's not getting better and he's, he's suffering. And um, I made the decision to have him put down and I read a lot about having to make that decision. And I mean, it just, it was clearly not getting better. And I just, I made the decision one morning where it's like, he, he's just, he's not himself. He's not eating. He's not been himself for a long time. And he is an older cat, even though I've only had him 10 years and I know cats can live forever, but I mean, not forever, but. Yeah, and I just, I didn't want to see him. He wasn't Oscar anymore. And um, I read up on it and it's like, you know, a lot of people said, don't leave the animal when they're given the drugs. So that is the first time I've been through the whole process with an animal. And um, I still miss him. He was my buddy. I have a similar story when we had to put our cat down. We had rushed her to the vet because she was having these seizure-type convulsions. We couldn't get her into the cat carrier, so we put her in a laundry basket lined with blankets and, and towels. And we rushed to PetSmart. Oh, for those who don't know, PetSmart is a pet supply store that almost always has a vet clinic or a vet hospital at the very back. The vet knew we were coming, so they were expecting us. So we were running into PetSmart and carrying her in this laundry basket. And it's, everyone just kind of parted the aisles to make way for us. It's like they knew, I mean, I knew what was coming, but it, it wasn't going to be easy. She'd been my baby for 20 years. So we were in the office and I was holding her in my arms at this point. And I kept telling her, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I think I was trying to convince myself that it was going to be okay. I told her how much I loved her. I mean, we've been through health scares with her off and on the the last five years of her life. And she always bounced back. So I think somewhere in the back of my mind, I thought she was going to be okay again. She wasn't. Not everyone's able to be there with their pet in those final moments. And I consider myself blessed that I was able to be there in, in the room with her and hold her. When it was all over, my husband and I walked out of the office back into the main part of PetSmart. The other customers were quiet and gave us these, these comforting looks. Some of them even offered to hug us or offered us some Kleenex. They didn't know us. We didn't know them. But there was something about being a pet parent that kind of bonds you to other pet parents, I think. They could sympathize what we just went through. Um, I, I lost it in the vet's office. And I live in a rural part of Texas, so... I remember walking out after spending some time after what happened, um, walking out of the room and into the bill center where everyone was very sympathetic. And then a guy, a cowboy with a cowboy hat, just said, can I hug you? Because I'm just, I've lost it. Another hard part of this is coming home without your pet. But when I got home, 
it was hard the first few weeks just because he wasn't there. You know, I one of my morning routines is to get up and I like to have my coffee and read a book for a little bit and read devotions before I go to work. That's my routine. Oscar was part of that routine. He would get up on my lap and just sit on my lap as I read devotions and read my book and had my coffee. And it was really hard. It was really hard when that routine was broken. It's becoming more common that when our pets die, we choose to keep their memory close, whether that be their ashes, their photo in a nice frame, or their paw print set in stone. Uh, we had him, or I had him cremated as well, and um, the facility made a little plaque of his paws, you know, imprinted in um, like whatever this sort of soft clay, and they they made this beautiful plaque, and they they all wrote a little letter to me and a beautiful card and I get to keep him like I don't sit it I don't like stare at his little box of ashes his little earth but every now and again I take a peek and I'm like hi baby you're still with me nothing lasts forever right I mean nothing there's always change in our lives. It's inevitable. I received better love, probably, than I deserved. And I know I got better love than I've probably ever given. And that, to me, was a miracle and blessing from God. I, will, I, I can never be ungrateful. I can never be ungrateful if I never had another precious little animal that was a child to me I would never have regretted it and I still yeah it's been years and I still cry and I still feel the loss but while you have them just love them thanks for listening join us on May 5th as Michael Cox shares his story regarding the loss of his wife Lindy This is truly a story of inspiration, love, loss, finding love again, and hope. Grief and Frozen Lasagnas is written, performed, and produced by Veronica Day. That's me. Music and sound design by Patrick Gary and the musical talents of The Sideshow Symphony. To hear this and other music by The Sideshow Symphony, go to www.sideshowsymphony.com sideshowsymphony.com or find the Sideshow Symphony on Apple Music or the streaming service of your choice. If you liked what you heard, or if you know anyone who might like this, please help us spread the news by sharing it. Or if you're listening through Apple Podcast, please rate and review to let other people know about us. It really helps. If you would like to be part of the show, see photos, or if you'd like to listen to our other episodes, please visit us at griefandfrozenlasagnas.com. Thank you for listening today and hopefully in the future. Take care of yourself and be kind.